Well, as you can as you can see uh, this morning, we're going to remember the Lord's Supper. We're going to remember communion, and uh, we are going to um, provide an opportunity this morning to receive from the from the bread and from the grape juice. We use unleavened bread and we use grape juice. But before we come to that part this morning, I want to go back with you this morning and. If you have your Bible with you, I would invite you to open your Bible with me. I want to begin this morning in Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. I'm going to read, I believe all of the reading or most of the reading this morning will be from the Amplified Bible. And I want to begin in Exodus chapter 12 because this is the instructions that the Lord God gave to Moses and to Aaron. And this is the beginning of the Passover. And God was bringing his... Uh, children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, out, from, out of oppression and slavery and bondage. And he would deliver them from Egypt and he would take them through the Red Sea and he would lead them eventually into the promised land. But it was leaving Egypt. And there were a series, as you remember, a series of judgments from God against Egypt, against the Pharaoh and against the land of Egypt. And finally, there was a final judgment and the final judgment involved the death of the firstborn both of man and of beast. The judgment was that the firstborn of every family, every household, man and of beast would die that night unless they were protected and covered by a covering. There had to be a protection. And the protection that was given by God was the blood of a lamb that would be slain. It could be a lamb or it could be a goat, a kid. And there were certain stipulations with regard to the qualifications of this particular animal that would be slain. That night, the angel of the Lord, the death angel, would pass over the land of Egypt and the firstborn would die. Unless they were protected by the blood, the blood would be applied to the doorposts and to the side posts of the doorways, to their homes and to their dwellings. The Lord said that when his angel would see the blood, he would pass over. And they would avoid the plague or the, the judgment and hence we have the term Passover, meaning that the judgment of God would pass over and not be and not touch them, that they would be protected. So let me begin to read now, verse, beginning at verse number 1 in Exodus chapter 12. <coughs> the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be to you the beginning of months, the first month of the year to you. This is the month of Nisan, and this is referred to in the Jewish calendar as the religious calendar. They, had a, they have a civil calendar, and they also have a religious or spiritual calendar, if you like, and this is the first month of the religious calendar, the month of Nisan. Verse number three, tell all the congregation of Israel on the tenth day of this month, they shall take every man a lamb or kid, according to the size of the family of which he is the father, a lamb or kid for each house. And if the household is too small to consume the lamb, let him and his next-door neighbor take it according to the number of persons. Every man according to what each can eat shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb or kid shall be without blemish. These are the qualifications. Now, I want to say to you this morning that as we understand the types of Scripture and the study and the doctrine of the types of Scripture... You find the types in the Old Testament and the anti-types or the fulfillment of those 
types or illustrations in the Old Testament, you find them fulfilled in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. All, this lamb points to Jesus. It is a type of Christ. It is a type of Jesus, the Lamb of God who will take away the sin of the world. Even the qualifications of the lamb, notice the qualifications. Your lamb or kid shall be without blemish. That means perfect. Perfect. No injury. Uh, no uh, impediment whatsoever. It says uh, of the first year, a male of the first year, and you shall take it from the sheep or from the goats. And you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall each kill his lamb in the evening. And they shall take the blood and put it on the two side posts and on the lintel above the door space of the houses in which they shall eat the Passover lamb. They shall eat the flesh that night roasted with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. All of this, of course, is types and illustrations. Unleavened bread, having no yeast in it. Yeast is a type of sin, that which causes decay and defilement and corruption. But this bread has none of that. It has nothing to cause decay, nothing to cause corruption or defilement, along with bitter herbs. And the bitter herbs, of course, are symbolic of the bitter experiences that they would have as they pass through the desert over those 40 years. Had it not been for the protection of God and his leading them and guarding them in the desert, they surely would have perished. Then in verse number 9 says, Eat not of it raw or boiled at all with water, but roasted its head, its legs, and its inner parts. You shall let nothing of the meat remain until the morning, and the bones and the unedible bits which remain of it until morning you shall burn with fire. This is very important, again, in typology, that all of the provision must be consumed. All of that which has been provided must be received. And so there was nothing left over, nothing left over, Anything that was not edible was burned, but everything must be consumed. It says, and you shall eat it thus, as fully prepared for a journey, your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand. In other words, get ready to travel. As you eat this Passover, I want you to be prepared to travel. Remember this, remember this is the very first Passover. God would require them then to commemorate the Passover on a yearly basis thereafter. And even to this day, the Passover is remembered. So you shall eat it fully prepared for a journey, your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be for a token or sign to you upon the doorposts of the houses where you are, that when I see the blood, I will pass over you. You will be safeguarded and kept and protected by the blood. All of this, of course, is symbolic, if you like, or a type of the protection of the blood of Jesus, who guards and keeps and protects. He said, I will pass over you, and no plague shall be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be to you for a memorial, 
and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations and keep it as an ordinance forever. And it is still kept as an ordinance to this very day. I want to refer you to Psalm 105. I'm just going to read a few passages from the Old Testament with regard to the Passover and the protection that God afforded his people as he brought them forth out of Egypt to bring them into the promised land. He brought them out of Egypt so that he could bring them into Canaan, the promised land. But in Psalm 105, which is a wonderful psalm that is a tribute to God's great uh, leading of his people and safe, the safety he afforded his people, I'll not read all of Psalm 105, but just verse 37. Listen to these words. Now, before I read these words, let me just say that when the Israelites were leaving Egypt uh, at the first Passover, the Egyptian people came through the judgments of God. The Egyptian people came to a place where they really wanted them to leave and couldn't wait for them to leave. And, and said, you know, hurry and leave. Is there anything we can give you to help you on your journey? And the children of Israel asked for them for provision, silver, gold, uh, clothing, that would assist them in their journey. And they were only too happy to give it to them. What a marvelous change had come over the Egyptian people and over Pharaoh of Egypt. So then, in Psalm 105, verse 37, it says, He, the Lord, He brought Israel forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribes. There are many places in the Old Testament scriptures in Deuteronomy and other places where God promised his people, if they would faithfully keep his laws, that he would give them and walk in his ways, that he would keep them free from the diseases that plagued Egypt. None of these diseases that you have been so familiar with in Egypt will I place upon you. I will place these diseases upon your adversaries and upon your enemies, but I will not place these diseases upon you. Very important to realize that in the types of Scripture, that safety and protection of the soul and of the spirit and of the body, physical protection, is afforded to the Lord's people as they would walk faithfully according to His purpose for their lives, that He would give them safety and protection. The idea, even in the types, is as they consumed the lamb, the flesh of the lamb, and as they went forth on the strength of that nourishment and of that provision, they would be safeguarded because the lamb is a type, of course, of Christ. And we're going to see that when we come to the new covenant, no longer do we think of eating the flesh of the lamb, but there is a transition. But I have one more passage I want to read And it's found in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Deuteronomy chapter 8. You'll remember with me this morning that in Deuteronomy chapter 6 you'll find the commandments that God gives of his people. And then in chapter 8 in verse 1 it says, All the commandments which I command you this day you shall be watchful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall earnestly remember all the way which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Remember all the things the Lord did. How he parted the Red Sea for you. How when you were thirsty, he gave you water out of the rock. The rock symbolizes Christ. 
how when you were hungry, he brought quail, he brought manna, which the fathers did not know. When they saw it, they said, what is it? Which is the translation of the word manna. So remember all these things. You shall earnestly remember all the ways which the Lord your God led you these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to prove you to know what was in your mind and in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and allowed you to hunger. He fed you with manna which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you recognize and personally know that man does not live by bread only, but man lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of the Lord. Do you remember those words being used in another occasion when Jesus was being tempted by Satan and saying, if you are the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread after he had fasted for 40 days and nights? And Jesus said, quoted this precise verse, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Here we find it in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now, there's one other verse. Moses is reminding the children of Israel as they traveled and and the Lord protected them that there was a supernatural element to the protection and safety that they experienced, a supernatural dimension. And he writes these words, Your clothing did not become old upon you over this 40-year period of time. Your clothing did not become old upon you, nor did your feet swell these 40 years. In other words, I know there's a great emphasis upon the dietary laws uh, of Israel that you find in Leviticus and other places in the Old Testament. And the merits and the value for your health of the dietary laws of Israel. And there is no question that there are many principles of health found in the Old Testament scriptures with regards to diet and laws involving uh, the way people dealt with sick bodies or dead bodies and so on. But there is a supernatural element in this. And we should not forget that even though some want to follow the dietary laws in the Old Testament and the principles of health of those laws, and that's uh, valued, and that's fine, but not to forget that there is a supernatural element to this health and wellness. And it's not explained simply because somebody followed a certain diet or did things a certain way. We must leave room for the power of God, the manifestation of His grace and power in the lives of His people. Now I want to come now to the New Testament. I'll ask you to open with me to 1 Corinthians. In each of the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you find that the writers include the Passover meal that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. And they give us the description of the events that occurred at this meal. They tell us where the meal was prepared and where it was held with Jesus and his disciples in an upper room in Jerusalem. John tells us, uh, gives details, John provides details, his gospel being written later than the first three. He provides details of the conversation Jesus had with his disciples that the other writers do not include. But they all include, the first three writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
they include the events and how Jesus took bread during the meal and how at the end of the meal he took the cup and the cup that he took is called the cup of praise that he took at the very end of the meal he did not take the he did not take the bread and the cup at exactly the same moment but during the meal he took bread and if you ask what type of bread did Jesus take it's impossible that Jesus could have had any other bread in his hand except unleavened bread because this is basically the feast of unleavened bread that they are holding for these seven going on eight days. All leaven has been removed from their homes for several days. The bread is unleavened. The bread has no yeast. The bread that Jesus would take in his hands during the meal would typify and illustrate his body. The bread that he would take in his hand would be roasted, or baked rather, and it would have uh, puncture marks in it. And the puncture marks it would have, would, because it's a heavy mass of dough, would permit it to be baked fully through. It would have stripes on it because it would be, uh, it would be baked on a, on a grill. And the marks of the grill would be left on the bread. And so the bread was unleavened, meaning, meaning the bread was pure. Nothing that would cause corruption in the bread. It had puncture marks in it to permit it to be baked all the way through, and it had stripe marks on it from the grill on which it was cooked. The bread physically illustrated and represented the body of Jesus because his body was pure, holy, pure, would not see defilement of the grave, would not see corruption. His body would be pierced upon the cross by crowns of thorns, Roman spear, and his his body would receive the stripes, the lashes of the, Roman, of the Roman punishment to his back. And so his body was pure, his body was punctured or pierced, and his body was striped. The bread was pure. The bread was punctured or pierced, and the bread was striped. And it illustrates, the very bread that Jesus took in his hand illustrated his body, and it was designed to be so from the beginning of time. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, even though I have mentioned that I'm going to begin to read at verse 23, and even though I have mentioned that Matthew, Mark, and Luke have all recorded this, I want to read with you this morning the record given by the Apostle Paul. I'm going to do this a little different than the way we have done it in the past, and I'll explain why as we proceed. We ask for the presence of the Lord to attend us in a very special way. Now, the words of the Apostle Paul as he begins to speak about the communion or the Lord's Supper as we refer to it. In verse 23, he writes these words. He said, For I received from the Lord himself that which I passed on to you. The amplification says it was given to me personally. And you'll remember after the conversion of the, of the Apostle Paul as he spent a considerable period of time, perhaps about three years, in the Arabian wilderness and desert. He had periods of time after Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. But there were periods of time after his conversion and after the healing of his eyes and the restoration of his sight. Then the Lord took him into the wilderness and the Lord taught him. And he was taught, the Apostle Paul was taught by way of divine revelation. The Apostle Paul was a very educated man in terms of the law of Israel 
he was educated as a rabbi. He was taught at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the primary teachers in all of Israel. But he was not prepared yet to present the gospel. And so the Lord revealed himself to the Apostle Paul in the Arabian wilderness for a period of time, significant amount of time before he began to proclaim the gospel. And before he embarked on his missionary journeys. And so he writes, what I'm going to say to you I received from the Lord personally. He personally revealed this to me, he said. I'm all ears. I want to know what the Lord personally revealed to him. It says that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was treacherously delivered up and while his betrayal was in progress, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said to his disciples, take, eat, this is my body, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this to call me to remembrance or do this in remembrance of me. I'm going to, we use unleavened bread and I'm going to present this bread in a moment. Notice the words of the Lord, excuse me, notice the the words of the Apostle Paul. He took bread, again he took unleavened bread, and when he had given thanks, he said, uh, he broke it. You see, the disciples did not break the bread themselves, but the Lord Jesus broke the bread himself, and the bread represents his body. When it says, this bread is my body, it means this bread represents my body. He's actually holding it in his hands. So he's saying, this bread that I'm holding in my hands represents my body. This illustrates my body, which is broken for you. There's a lot of conversation today about who killed Jesus. People are writing movies and presenting movies, writing books and presenting movies on who killed Jesus. I want to say to you this morning that Jesus was killed with his permission. It was impossible for him to have been killed by someone else. Yes, they acted, and they acted with evil and malicious intent, and they would be held accountable for the malice in their hearts, and they will be held accountable for their own actions in nailing the Savior to the cross. But he broke the bread himself. He would say, don't you know that I have the power to call angels to protect me and to deliver me? But he didn't come to call miraculous intervention. He, called, he, he was called to humble himself and give up his life. And so he broke the bread. And this is why this morning that I'm bringing to you unleavened bread that represents the body of Jesus. It represents the body of Jesus. There is nothing of great value in this physical bread. It is what this bread represents that is of wonderful value. And he said, I'm breaking this bread to his disciples. He said, I'm breaking this bread for you. I'm breaking this bread so that you will receive it, that you will partake of it. I'm breaking it for you. In other words, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to surrender my body to the cross. I'm going to surrender my body to experience physical death. And I'm doing that for you. I want to say something to you this morning. I want to say something to you. I've pondered whether or not I would say this, and I believe I should. Because of the times in which we are living, we are living in a period of time where there's a great um, interest in Jesus. 
has a great interest in presenting Jesus to the world. And so we have movie after film after movie and film and books and we have all of these things and the Gnostic Gospels about Jesus and Mary Magdalene and all of these things. And a great deal of it is completely unreliable in terms of accurate research and study. And what is coming, uh, what, what is actually occurring now is that there is an impression and a presentation of Jesus in a way that does not present an accurate portrayal of him. Now, you'll all make up your own minds and you'll all have your own opinions about all of these things. I'm going to offer you, I believe, to be a reasoned opinion on it this morning. And I'm going to say this now because these words will be remembered for a long time. And the events that will unfold over the next few years will bear this out, will prove it to be accurate or not. I believe it will prove it to be accurate. The world is in the process of being prepared now for a, for a Jesus that is not the true Jesus. The world is being prepared for that. Even the very idea of an individual playing the part of Jesus in a very popular movie called Killing Jesus, a Muslim man, and I'm not ridiculing the Muslim man, I'm saying that the whole concept of selecting a Muslim man because many viewed him as being the most authentic to play the role of Jesus, but the whole idea and concept of this particular Islamic or Muslim man playing the part of Jesus is playing into an Islamic doctrine of Jesus. And people can't see that. And I'm telling you that that's true. It plays into the portrayal of Jesus in a way that he is not. Let me tell you something else as we go through this morning. There is only one person. There is only one person qualified to portray Jesus in the world. If you said to me this morning, do you believe that we should have movie actors playing the role of Jesus? I would say very, very clearly to you this morning, no, we should not. <coughs> Absolutely not. And the reason is, is because there is a presentation in the minds, people's minds and perceptions are being prepared for a false Christ, a false Jesus, it is very possible that there will be an individual who will appear on the earth at a certain point in time in the future who will claim to be Jesus. It's very possible that that individual will appear claiming to be Jesus will be from Islam. It's very possible because it fits perfectly into the idea of Islamic scripture and eschatology. And other people are cooperating with that, not knowing that they are, but they are cooperating with that whole concept. But here's the main point. The main reason is that there's only one person who has been authorized to present Jesus to the world, and that person is the Holy Spirit. That person is God, the Holy Spirit, God, the Holy Ghost, the Comforter has come, the Spirit of Truth. He is the only one that is authorized to declare Jesus to you or to me and say, this is Jesus this is what he says. This is what he's like. This is his personality. This was his attitude when he drove the money changers out of the temple. This was the spirit with which he drove them out. The only one that can do that is the Holy Spirit. Only one. No human being can do that. 
I'm stressing this this morning because this is very important. Very important. And so Jesus breaking the bread during the supper. Now the, 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 the wine would come later. I'm going to present this to you this morning. When you receive the bread, what you're basically saying is, I'm receiving Jesus to be my Lord and to be my Savior. I'm receiving what he did for me on the cross. He gave his life. He surrendered his body to be crucified. And he did that for me. Now, his invitation to you this morning would be this. His, his invitation to you this morning would be this. Take and eat. This represents my body, which is broken for you. Now, if you said this morning, is this, does this symbolize Christ's body being broken for me? Absolutely, yes, it does. It symbolizes that. But if you do not, or if you do not intend in your heart to receive his sacrifice for you, don't receive the bread. Pass it along. Are you invited to receive the bread? Yes. But you are only invited to receive the bread after and as you and I, as we examine ourselves in terms of our decision to accept that sacrifice for me. You know, the truth is that when Jesus died on the cross, he had your name on his shoulder and on his breast. In other words, he did it for you by name. Do you know that? When I first saw that in my life, it was just absolutely the truth of that just brought me to my knees. I had never seen it before. I'm going to start this morning with dawn, and then we'll just pass the tray. And so this is what Jesus did during the meal, is he broke the bread, and he gave the bread to his disciples. And he said, take and eat, this represents my body, which is broken for you. In verse number 25, the apostle continues, and there is a passage of time now. Some time passes between the breaking of the bread and what I'm about to read. Similarly, when supper was ended, he took the cup also. And this cup would be taken at the very end of the meal. And it's called again the, the cup of praise. And so he took the cup also saying, This cup is the new covenant ratified and established in my blood. And do this as often as you drink it to call me to remembrance. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are representing and signifying and proclaiming the fact of the Lord's death until he comes again. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in a way that is unworthy, a way that is unworthy of him, a frivolous way or a careless way, will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. It says, let a man thoroughly examine himself and only when he is done and only when he has done so should he eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And the reason the apostle writes this to the church in Corinth is because the people had been conducting themselves in a very frivolous manner with regards to the Lord's Supper and these emblems and what they signify. And so we come to the end of the meal. Now in just a little while, they will arise from the from from the upper room and they will go out into the area of Jerusalem near Temple, uh, Temple Mount in Jerusalem and they will begin slowly to make their way towards the Kidron Valley and the Kidron River but before they come to the Kidron 
valley and river, Jesus will communicate a great number of things to them, including the coming of the Holy Spirit. He will, he will talk to them about the vine and the branches. I'm the vine and you are the branches. And he would do all this as they walk slowly and maybe stop from time to time and as he talks to them. Then in chapter 17 of John, they will come to the, what is referred to as the great high priestly prayer of Jesus. But at the very end of the meal, before they sing, the scripture says they sang a hymn. And the hymn that they would sing would be from the Psalms. And so just before they sang the Psalms and then left, he took the cup, the cup of praise. And the wine in the cup, he said, this represents my blood, which will be shed for you. I'm going to start with Don because if you have your Bible again with you, please open, please open with me to John's Gospel, chapter 6. John's Gospel, chapter 6. I'm going to direct your attention to verse number 47 of the 6th chapter of John. And I would like to close with these, uh, with these words this morning before Ruth comes. These words would be spoken by Jesus before the Last Supper, before the events that we are remembering this morning. But listen to these words and how important they are to the message that we are, we've just discussed and the message that we have just participated in. Remember with me this morning that all of these, these are things that we have done in obedience to what the Lord has commanded us to do and has invited us to do. But it has spiritual significance. It's not in the physical actions that we have participated in, but it is in what it spiritually represents. These are the words of Jesus. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread, which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Listen to these words. Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. Now, their heads are spinning when he's saying these words. Their heads are spinning. What is he saying to us? He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. And some people rush to the... He's talking about some kind of cannibalism. No, he's not. He's talking about what we have just commemorated this morning and its spiritual significance. Jesus continues, As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying, and who can understand it? What they were saying is, we can't accept this. 
When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then if you would see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. And what we have done this morning, the physical part of what we have commemorated this morning, profits nothing. But the spiritual meaning of what we have done this morning, if received, gives eternal life. The spiritual meaning of it gives eternal life and is eternal life. Again, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. And it is our great privilege to, commember, to remember the Lord's Supper and this initiation or institution, if you like, of the New Covenant, where Jesus took the Passover meal and those emblems that, there were, that were there at the Passover meal and used them to initiate the new covenant. And it was the wine, and it was the unleavened bread that he used, the wine to represent his blood that would be shed for us, and the bread to represent his body that would be broken for us, and the spiritual food that is in his body and his blood, spiritually speaking, offered up for us on our behalf, is what gives us new life in Christ Jesus. I'm going to uh, ask Ruth if she will come this morning. Can we just bow our, bow our hearts together this morning and our, our heads together? Just kind of rest in the presence of the Lord for a moment as we close. Our Father in heaven, we thank you this morning for these wonderful, wonderful provisions that you have, that you have given for us. We're just so grateful this morning, Lord, for everything that you have revealed to us through your written word. Now this morning our heart's desire is that the full meaning of what we have discussed and what we have shared and the scriptures that we have read together, that the full meaning of this in terms of the spiritual life that is intended and designed to be imparted to us by faith in Christ Jesus would be revealed to our understanding so that we would understand and we would see that the bread represents his body broken for me and the wine or grape juice represents his blood shed for me. And as often as we do this, as often as we have this meal, this, this supper, as often as we do this, we remember the Lord's death and sacrifice for it for us until he comes again. And so, as we come to this moment of closure today, we look back, we look back, Lord, to the provisions that you made, and we also look ahead, we look forward, Lord, to your soon return. You said to your disciples, Lord, before you left, that you would not drink of the, of the fruit of the vine with them again, but it would be consumed or received in a new way in the kingdom of God. And so our understanding, Lord, is that the, these emblems that we have received today, these symbols these that represent you, that we receive it in this way, but there is coming a time when you return and when we take you and when you take us to the place that you have made for us that we will receive the fullness of this communion in a grander way a way that we cannot even contemplate at the moment but there is a there is a magnitude to the communion that we will then have with you that will be so wonderful and profound 
And so we look forward, Lord, to that day when we have that communion and fellowship with you. Now as we go, we go in your peace. May your safety and consolation be with each one. If there are needs, Lord, that we have, today, Lord, we take this moment and this opportunity even now as we come to a closing to bring them to you, Father, in Jesus' name and ask for your ministry to the need and to those needs that we are aware of. Needs in our family, perhaps. Needs in our employment. Needs in our health. Questions that we may have that need uh, answers, the right answers. Lord, we bring all of these to you in Jesus' name and ask that your Spirit, the wonderful Holy Spirit, would minister Jesus to us in such a way that what we need will be, will be supplied. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.